0: good morning everybody um first and foremost tracy and i just want to thank everybody for um the cards the emails the text messages the notes things of that nature if i have not responded yet um forgive me it's been uh, a bit of a week um but i certainly will we will both take them all to heart and uh certainly respond as soon as we are able. Um, On top of all the other fun stuff this week, of course, we had the ice storm, which prevented us from truly beginning the season of Lent. Lent began this past Wednesday, as you probably all know, on Ash Wednesday. And what you may or may not have known is that I was assigned to preach that day, and so I feel a little bad that it's my last preaching day, and I technically owe you two sermons. And so I'm going to do my best to combine them both into one, two sermons into one today, and still maybe get out at a reasonable hour. And we'll do that, I think, and it's appropriate because while we've been talking about Romans for the past few weeks now, I don't know that we've ever sort of unwrapped the context for which Romans exists or or why Paul wrote it, because it's really all about two coming into one. And so what was happening is around the year 49 in the city of Rome, the Emperor Claudius made an edict that all of the Jewish people were expelled from Rome. They all had to leave. Now you've got to understand that before that, these Christian churches, these house churches that existed in Rome were made up of two different groups of people. There were Jewish people who have who had come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, so they were Messianic Jews, and so they became Christians, as we would call it today, just to make it simple. And then there was another group of people who were like Gentiles who had become Christians. And Gentiles is just the general term for anybody not Jewish, right? And so within this church, you can kind of understand that there were Jewish people who had this long history of tradition and ritual of knowing who God is and was and will be, and they came to see that Jesus was the culmination of all of the promises and covenants that God had made in the past. And so they came to believe in this Jesus and they started these house churches. And then along came, we'll call them the newbies, right? The the Gentiles into these churches and they began to try and figure out what all of this meant how to live. Now if that's the reality of the house churches with these two groups of people, then when Claudius makes this edict that all of the Jewish people need to leave that means the Messianic Jews also need to leave. All right, so what that leaves then in Rome is these Christian churches that are all made up of newbies, and they're Gentiles, and they're Christians, but they still believe that God is up to something. And so during these years, while the Jewish people are exiled from Rome, they continue telling the story of Jesus, and God continues to be at work, and new people come into these house churches. Now, what types of people are they who come into these house churches? Gentiles right because all the Jews are gone does that make sense so now these churches are growing but they are growing with these newbie types of people and they're developing their own traditions and their own understandings and their own identity well then Claudius dies and in 54 I think 54 or 55 because he dies the edict ends And so when that edict ends, the Jewish people can all come back into Rome. And so they start flowing back into Rome. But now these Jewish Christians are going back to house churches, and they don't recognize them. Because there are new traditions, and there are new rituals, and new understandings of this God and Jesus. And so all of a sudden now, this one Christian community is made up of these two very distinct groups of people. One who used to have power, and one who now has power. It is an us versus Them type of circumstance. Now, That's going to be the context, and we read that in the Bible, but we also understand that this isn't just something that happened back then. This is the reality now and forevermore, right, is there's this reality in our world that there's this little microcosm of the church, that there is conflict within here because power structures are changing, because people are coming with different understandings of rituals and understandings. And just like you and I have conflicts with us versus them, our people versus those people, insiders versus outsiders, and Paul's message in Romans is that somehow the gospel heals all of these wounds. That somehow the good news of Jesus Christ eliminates that us versus them and brings us all into one beloved community together. And so how does he do this? Well, he does this just like I assume you or I would. He starts by addressing them. He starts by addressing the outsiders if you will the Gentiles and so he goes through in the earlier chapters of Romans and he says this about those people out in the world for since the creation of the world God's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse he says look guys we know that we Jews had the law but you all are without excuse because the what God wanted you to do is plain and clear for all to see And so instead of doing what God just naturally wanted you to do, instead it says they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. And then, the worst of all, they disobey their parents. I know, right? And so what Paul is doing is he's just coming at these guys and he's saying like, hey, I want you all in one community to begin to understand how to get along. But first of all, we've got to do a little work. And so he starts grinding and working and talking about, hey, 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 you may be more in number now, but the us versus them, the in versus out, that's not because you are all screwed up. And you can imagine that when he's writing this, all the Jewish messianic people in the church are like, amen, Paul, that's right, brother. And so then he addresses them. You, wait a minute, wait a minute. He says in chapter two, you, therefore, you also, the Jewish people, you also have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same thing. Darn it. You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not have committed adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? And see, so what he's done is he has, he has brought both of these communities, both of who had a sense of arrogance or power or this, this aura, and he says, no, 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 we're going to get you guys all together, but first we need to break you down we need to help put you all on this level playing field. And so today we're going to continue in that that's in Romans 2, but this is where it starts in Romans 3, our passage for today. He says, "What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage that's the Jewish people? Not at all, for we have already made for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power Of sin. Do you see what he's saying? As it is written, therefore, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. Are you feeling good yet? All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who we get it, Paul. Nope, you don't. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of viper is on their vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Look at how he moves from like the head now all the way down. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know, for there is no fear of God before their eyes. Paul is like from head to toe, from hand to foot, every aspect of every person. In case you haven't picked up on this, he's like, I am just grinding you all down because this is what it takes. You need to understand that you are dust. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, it says this, for dust you are and to dust you shall return. You can see that that Paul, this is what he's doing in Romans, he's like, hey, I'm just grinding everybody down. I'm helping you see that like no one is better. There is no us and them. You're all together in the muck and you're dust. For dust you are and to dust you shall return, but now wait. This isn't actually the first time in the scriptures that the word dust is referenced. So if you had your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 3, you could turn a page back and you would see this moment, moment of hope. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. It's not so much that we are dust and that means we are are terrible or awful or anything. It's what we do with our dust. God has formed us out of the dust and he breathes into us the breath of life or the spirit and it's then when we come alive, you and I are all meant to be dusts, but we are vessels of dust meant to carry the very breath of God inside of us. But when we abandon that, God says to us, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. But we have been made for something. We had been created for something larger. In Isaiah 43, this is the the beginning of the move of God's covenant faithfulness and the promise to restore his people. God says through Isaiah, I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Again, that reference to God forming and shaping, but it reveals here that you and I were created for something. We were created for God's glory. Now, I brought a couple friends of mine today to illustrate this point. This is my driver. Yes, this is a good, good golf cover. Shout out to keeping it golden. This is a tailor-made SLDR. It is the hardest hit, hardest to hit driver on the planet, but for some reason it works for me. But if I were to ask you, what is the purpose of this? What was this crafted? This is made of titanium. What was this dust? What is it formed and made for? You would probably say... To, made to hit a ball as hard as you can. Hit a ball as far as you can. That's what you're supposed to do. It's the driver, right? Alright, I'm not going to set it against that piano. Ooh. Now, hit a ball as far as you can. I also brought with me uh-oh, I didn't practice this. My bowling ball. Now, this is not just any bowling ball, my friends. This is the Nasty Nail extreme? It says hammer on it. I once got a 265 with this. Let me tell you how you get a 265. You get nine strikes in a row, and then when the entire bowling alley is watching you, you get a split in the 10th frame. But, if I said, what is this created for? You would say it's created or crafted or formed or made to knock down some really hard pins right now. What if I took this and I said, okay, this, this was created, it was formed to hit a ball as far as it possibly can. And then I used it to hit a ball as hard as I possibly could. It would break. It would also hurt probably real, real bad. There would be shards of titanium and dust flying into your eyes. But you see, that is the point that Paul is trying to make, is that there are certain things that are created specifically for specific purposes, and when you use them for the wrong purpose, they break down. They cause harm, they cause pain, they shatter, they fracture relationships, they separate things. But he says, God's desire is to bring them back together. You and I were formed from dust to be these vessels that carry, but how, how God, how will this happen? You've already elaborated for us that we are far too messed up to have any hope. In John 20, God says, I'm going to send my son. It doesn't say this in John 20. But God sends God's son, and and after he lives, he is this, this dusty vessel. He too fills this dusty vessel that we call a body, and yet he is filled with the Holy Spirit from beginning to end. He does not allow his vessel to be filled with anything else, not with darkness or malice or gossip or deceit or disobeying of his parents. Well, he did that one time. Never mind. But he lives this perfect life. And so there's this thing like, well, maybe if we just saw the beautiful, perfect image of someone living into what they were supposed to do, then no, we were too far gone. And so when God comes in the flesh, when Jesus arrives, we spit on him and we beat him and we nail him to a cross in, in a way for God to show just how far we've come. But what we meant to God for evil, God meant to us for good. And so Jesus's earthen vessel, his dust is broken down and it's torn apart. And yet three days later, he rises from the dead. And when he rises from the dead, he goes to the disciples. And I kid you not, this is what he says. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He says, what you all have broken yourselves down and beaten yourselves and separated and fractured and all of those different things so that you could no longer hold anything, I am putting back together And I, just like God did when he formed Adam out of the dust of the earth, your vessels are being put back together, and I now am breathing into you anew the breath that gives you life, the very Spirit of God. Now, what does it look like, Jesus, to be sent out the way you were sent? And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. It's as though Jesus says what all of this is about. What your whole life is supposed to be, your vessel that carries the Holy Spirit out into this world in life and hope and goodness is supposed to be about love and grace and forgiveness. You have the power to create the type of community that you want to see, and it comes through forgiveness. You can do it or you cannot do it, Jesus says. You can carry this around in your vessel, the Holy Spirit of grace and love and and peace, or you can pour it out and you can fill it up with all that stuff that you used to do. I'm not going to force you one way or another, but I'm telling you that in me, all of this has been put back together. Now, Paul, in essence, says the same thing in Romans chapter Three, after he's done grinding everybody down, Jew and Gentile, there is no one righteous, no, not one, none of you. Your lips are full of deceit. Your, your feet are quick to, to, to shed blood, like all these things. He grinds them down into nothing. But then he builds it back up in Christ. He says, but now, but now, what is, what is now? After Jesus, but now, Apart from the law of righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophet. Uh, sorry, now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has now been made known to which the law and the prophets testified. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is as bad as all of you were, as dark and broken and shattered as all of you have been, as quick to rush in for blood or vengeance or violence or disobeying your parents or inventing ways of doing evil, as dark as you were, so the opposite of that was also true in God. As much as you were unrighteous, God's righteousness is now coming through. As much as you were in sin, God's justice is now coming through. All the bad that you did, as deep as that was, the love of God is infinitely deeper. He says, for, for the law that could not accomplish it is now matched by the righteousness of God. And now how did he do that, right? God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. That word atonement there is the mercy seat. It's the place from Leviticus 16 where it talks about the day of atonement. It's the day of bringing the community back together with one another while their sins are pushed out and back into relationship with God. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. So see what, God, what Paul says, like, hey, God didn't just let this go. He came himself. He sent his one and only son to buy this, to purchase this back by his blood so that you could be welcomed. So when you go and you're like, how can I forgive anybody? They've done something too bad. That sin has been paid for. You're not ignoring it. You're acknowledging that it's been nailed to christ on the cross you're acknowledging that christ took that pain for you and also now has the power through grace and reconciliation to make you whole you don't have to fight back against that you don't have to have vengeance vengeance is mine says the lord instead you can move forward in grace and forgiveness and love he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be the just one the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus and of course because we know we cannot accomplish any of this on our own Paul makes it clear that all of this is accomplished through faith it's simply by believing it's simply by believing that we are broken and believing that God is the one who puts us back together. It's simply believing that those things that separate us are not too great for the blood of Jesus Christ to overcome. It's simply by you and I believing that we can once again be made vessels of goodness and create the type of world that God wants to see. If you forgive anyone their sins, they're forgiven. If you don't, they aren't. This is this guy, Jonathan Majors. I don't know if you've seen him. He's the new supervillain of the Marvel Universe, Kang. He's in um, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, which, good, good enough movie. He's also in the new Creed three movie. Spoiler alert, I bet he loses. But the point being, he is absolutely unequivocally on the rise as a superstar in Hollywood. If you see him around Hollywood, you always see him with a cup in his hand. When he's being interviewed on Good Morning America, when he's being interviewed on The Late Show, when he's at awards show, when he's at all these different things, he always carries a cup with him. And people are always asked, why do you carry a cup with you? And he said, because my mother was a pastor. And she didn't believe in show business. But when I left home at 18, she told me this, watch your cup. And whatever it meant to him at that time, he says today what it means to him is mind his cup. Whatever is filled, like he has the power to fill that cup. No one else does. No one can pour into it. No one can carry out. And I mean, that's fine. But I just love this image that everywhere he goes, he carries a cup to remind himself that he is a vessel That can be filled with goodness and truth and love and grace and identity, or it can be filled with misery and gossip and slander and vice. If you forgive anyone their sins, they're forgiven. If you don't, they don't. But I ask you today, what were you created for? You were created to bring glory to God. And Jesus Christ will put you back together, and the Holy Spirit will fill you up and enable to you to do vastly more than you could ever ask or imagine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the one who accomplishes all things. Lord, we acknowledge who we are in this season of Lent, and yet we don't do it in utter dismay. For God, though we are dust, and to dust we shall return, we're also reminded that that comes after the fall. That comes as part of the curse, but it is not the way that you have originally made it to be. You have made us and formed us out of the dust so that we have a vessel to receive your spirit, that we might be filled with your spirit and pour that same spirit out into this world, that two might become one, that us and them might become we, that we might be bound together by the power and love of your Holy Spirit. So be with us in the days and the weeks and in the months ahead. We honor and glorify you for who you are, who you say we are, and who you are making us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.